0: Welcome to BIO, a podcast produced by the Biographers International Organization. BIO is devoted to promoting the work of biographers and advocating for biography as a genre with the support of biographers and biography lovers worldwide. I'm BIO member Lisa Napoli in Los Angeles. On each episode, we'll talk with a biographer about his or her work. For her second book, writer Janice Namura chose a rich topic, two sisters, the first and third women in the United States to earn medical degrees. Norton released her book in January, 2021, The Doctors Blackwell, how two pioneering sisters brought medicine to women and women to medicine. From her home in New York City, Namura spoke with me via Zoom about how she arrived at the topic. I had written a
1: book about trail border crossing women of the 19th century, you know, trailblazers in, in Daughters of the Samurai. And I had gotten comfy in the 19th century and had discovered the wonderful world of 19th century badass ladies and sort of wanted to spend some more time there um, and was look, on the lookout for a good 19th century women story. What I had learned in the first book was that, in order to spend this much time on one subject, you need to connect to it at a deep level. For me, Japan was part of my family story, and there was a lot of connection there. was a lot of resonance. For me, medicine was the path not taken. It was where I had thought I was going to go, and then I didn't. Um, so this was an opportunity to come back to it, which i I, I still had a lot of passion for the subject that I just hadn't hadn't gone in that direction. So it was a way of um, staying in the context of nineteenth century women and indulging in, my medical, you know, path not taken, plus the incredibly rich and gory history of 19th century medicine, which is just fun.
0: <laughs> yes, and so did you then decide to zero in on the very first woman with a medical practice? It, it was really it, it. It the way it happened was I um, I stumbled across Emily Blackwell
1: actually not Elizabeth um, in a book of um, queer trailblazers of the late 19th century. You know, women who made a difference. Um, who had queer elements to their personal lives. You cannot pay attention to Emily for more than three seconds without discovering Elizabeth. And I was astonished that I had never heard of them. And I had grown up in New York where they practiced. And I had been a math science kid at a proudly feminist all-girls school from the age of five. It didn't make sense to me that I had never heard of them. So I sort of went looking for them and discovered that, although they're really easy to find on the children's shelf, the depictions on the children's shelf are, are... are really partial and incomplete and sanitized and um, sanctified. And then, you know, following them into the archives. And I got very lucky because um, there's a huge amount of Blackwell material at the Schlesinger Library in Cambridge. And they had pretty much just that minute finished an enormous grant to digitize what they had. And what they had was hundreds of thousands, like a hundred thousand pieces of material. So that seemed like um, fate pointing me in the right direction. <laughs>
0: And it's so exciting when, that's what I love about doing this, because each story is similar and different. It's that weird process of discovery. You weren't trying, you were looking for a story, but you didn't know what it was. And then um, you're finding untold stories from history. And it's mind blowing that this hasn't been told in the way you've told it before, but it was like the perfect serendipitous moment that you collided with it, so. Well,
1: right, I think, I mean, both because all we do is to think and talk about public health in this moment, and also because we are thinking about female leaders in a a new way, partially thanks to Kamala Harris and the Me Too movement. And um, this is a story of women who changed the world who weren't adorable, who weren't um, likable often, And I think that was why they had been overlooked a lot by modern biographers is that you pick them up and you think, ah, feminist icon. And then you think, eek, misogynist. But to me, that's human. We all know or are that person sometimes. And I think it's important to really confront it and look squarely at it. So it's a good moment for a story that doesn't conform to the, you know the ideal narrative.
0: We all talk a lot about how uh, stories of marginalized people haven't been told in the past because there was no path. I mean a there might not have been interest and B, there might not have been the papers, the treasure trove of papers that you discovered. So it's obviously the people who were exceptional in some way, usually in any century in any persona who are who are immortalized. So what was it like to find this? I mean, you have many, you cite many, many uh, libraries, archivists who've, who've contributed to your knowledge here. How did you wade through all of that? Because it is, it isn't just a small trove of papers that you went through. No. I mean, it was, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's funny. I, I, I've taken so much wisdom from various bio conferences that I've been to. I remember Candice Millard saying one year that um, if you're not drowning, you probably don't have enough material. Um, so I took heart from the fact that I was definitely drowning, but it did feel like drowning. I thought Candace said it was it was a good thing, so I, I'm going to make going to decide it's a good thing. <laughs> um, and then I remember someone else on a panel, you know, saying what I think has been said many times, which is um, writing a good biography is mostly a matter of leaving out the boring stuff, um, and that's very much my MO. Is I I yes, there was a lot to wade through, but I was not setting out to write. The definitive history. I'm not a. I'm not a trained historian. I like to call myself a storyteller. Um, not to say that anything is made up. Everything is deeply researched, and you can find a footnote on any piece of evidence in the book. But um, I I go through it like a magpie. I I look for the the shiny, juicy, sticky bits, um, and I collect them. And then after a while, I see what I have. It's sort of like stringing beads. You collect all the most beautiful beads, and then you try to put them. In order on a string, um, I happen to have a very short attention span as a reader. Um, I I I um I try to write what I like to read, which is you know really story driven narrative nonfiction or wonderful historical fiction. Um, so, although I don't know how to write fiction, I don't know how to make stuff up. It helps me remember to write with all five senses rather than. Um, you know trying to get every single fact in there. Right.
0: Right. And that is that is an art. It's it's and it's hard for it's hard to explain that art to people. I guess the best way to do it is to ask people to read books that exemplify that really well as yours does. So oh. you're part of writing women's lives. Women, Women writing, writing women's, women's lives. lives. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that group because that seems like a really powerful force at least in the New York City area. I mean, I'm everywhere, yeah, I, but I'm- you're all together. And, you usually get together, right? In the old days. Right.
1: They have meetings once a month and they're still, we're still meeting on Zoom. Um, I'm a very recent arrival to a very, you know, um, venerable group of extraordinary pioneering female biographers. Um, so I, I sort of feel like I sit on the edge and, and, and watch and learn um, uh, because there, I mean, there, there are icons in that group, people who have really, you know, made the path. Alice, Kate Schulman, and Honor Moore, and the late Deirdre Bear, and um, Blanche weasen Cook. You know, the, these are these are people I'm honored to share a room with. And it's yeah, it's it's a, an extraordinarily supportive um, group of women who really um, celebrate the work and each other's work. Which is biography is a solitary work, <laughs> and it's fun to have um, have colleagues.
0: It's a solitary work where you are conjuring up other humans too. So you're almost side by side with someone deceased or uh, the person, your, your subject. So what was that like to, to immerse yourself? I mean, you've done, done work with the 19th century before, but what was it like to, to reveal, to find, to unfold um, this incredible story about medicine through the lens of a, a pioneering women?
1: Elizabeth and Emily Blackwell came to medicine at an extraordinary moment for medicine. I mean, everything about the field was in flux, both institutionally, scientifically, um, you know the way it was the way people who worked in the field were legitimized was shifting. the science they were using, the diagnostic tools, the the theories about hygiene and antisepsis and and germ theory. that was all all on the table at the same time. And so it's really interesting to watch Elizabeth and Emily who, were setting out to kind of storm the establishment, but become part of it. They weren't really interested in revolutionizing medicine. They were, being, they were interested in having the establishment recognize that women could be doctors. So there's this interesting tightrope they walk between not wanting to alienate the establishment, but at the same time, wanting to um, pay attention to and incorporate the kind of heresies that were starting to you know, inform medicine. I mean, Elizabeth would say that she wanted to be able to commit heresy with intelligence in her own institution, which is part of why they founded a hospital. At the same time, Elizabeth especially, having kind of come of age and come to medicine in the kind of just at the end of the heroic medicine phase, was slow to adopt some of the new science. I mean, germ theory was hard for her because to her, moral behavior was an important component of health. And the idea that an amoral microbe was responsible for say venereal disease and not just bad behavior. Um, that was hard. And so these are all interesting contradictions that make sort of complicate the story and and make it more interesting, you know, make it more human, less black and white.
0: And very different from the feminism that women, especially younger women, would be familiar with. I say this having just written a book about women in the 70s. How do you square that up? You bring a, a story at contemporary times, at a time when things were so dark and dire and different and feminism was different. It was right?
1: different, right? Yeah, I mean, these, the Blackwells um, had something in common with the women that I wrote about in my first book about Japan, which is that they were coming into this trailbla- trailblazing pioneering role at the very beginning. And I think what they had in common was this idea that their job, th- the way they were gonna change the world was to be undeniably excellent. And as long as they were undeniably excellent the world would bend toward them because who could who could deny them they would be undeniable um, they really didn't have a lot of patience for noisy activism. Um, you know the irony in the Blackwells case is that their sister-in-law was Lucy Stone you know who kept her name and wore bloomers in public and and read a uh, you know a whole proclamation about marriage at her wedding with their brother who was all over that. Um, they couldn't believe that, they were doing something so public and and taking up, taking their personal lives out into public like that. Um, That was not Elizabeth's MO in any way. And and Emily followed suit with that to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's, I think that's something that a pattern that you see that the idea at first is just show how excellent a woman can be, demonstrate that a woman can do this and the world will notice that, and then things will change. And of course, things didn't change. Um, and then noisiness needed to follow, and activism and, and radicalism. Um, but these were not radical women. That's the, that's the interesting thing. They had a radical idea, right. but they weren't interested in leading radical lives as women. Um, that that that's very subtle, and 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 it changes color and shape no matter what direction you're looking at it.
0: Right. It's it, we see that throughout history. I mean, there are so many examples of the one camp versus the other. And like you say, you need them both for it to work or to, to effect change. But it's always interesting too, these stories of the first of anything, because you always figure there would, would have been someone else if it hadn't been the Blackwells. Um, but what did you ever think as you were going through, you know, how how that, who I'm not sure if I can articulate this, the person who is the first sets the pace in a different way than if someone else had been the first. I mean, do you see the through lines yeah. of her today? Does that, did that trickle into the next decades and centuries? Or- yeah, I mean,
1: I, I, think, I think part of the reason her name isn't all that well remembered is that um, her mode was difficult. She was an, ideologi- an ideologist at such a high level that a lot of what she believed and espoused was impractical. Um, what, a lot of what she was advocating for women, women couldn't put into practice ideas about birth control or, or you know, I, 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 things that that weren't sort of on the lived reality of a married woman with a family, um, which was the norm. Um, so I think, ironically, uh, even though she was the, the the trailblazer, the first, and we remember her because she was the first. Um, The women who came after her like Mary Putnam Jacobi or Elizabeth Garrett Anderson in England, um, they are remembered better in many ways because they lived lives that the women they inspired could relate to more closely. They did have families. They did collaborate with other women. Um, Elizabeth Blackwell was kind of a loner. Uh, She she found human connection hard um, and she was always moving on to the next idealistic challenge. she she didn't like to, um, you know, once she and her sister Emily had founded the New York Infirmary and the Women's Medical College, she took off and went back to England and left Emily to run them for the next 40 years while she pursued public policy and, and moral reform. You know, again, more issues than, than practitioner. You know, she, 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 she broke the mold and then other people changed it a little bit. Um, I think there's a there's a wonderful quote from Mary Putnam Jacobi who, who was inspired by Elizabeth and partly trained by her. Um, later in life when she has achieved just the same kind of stature as Elizabeth Blackwell, she says, you know, you had the idea and we will always credit you for that, but you left us to do the work. Um, and, you know, that that was a, a stinging, but also very accurate and also very respectful thing to say. you know, I, it was it was sort of summed it all up.
0: What have you taken away from from this research that that has helped inform you for your next project? I mean, did it did it lead you to your next project, or not yet. <laughs> not, yet. not yet. yeah, it's a <laughs> time. It's a good time um, to take a break. so <laughs>
1: um I, it's funny though, I've been thinking about it. i I feel like, um this particular story allow, has allowed me to kind of slip in the back door of narrative medicine yeah, I, you know I'm, and i love narrative medicine i some the the, the 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 titans of narrative medicine are some of my very very favorite writers but most of them are physicians and i'm not um, but i've sort of you know i've sneaked in backstage and i like it in here and and i you know i'm curious about finding other stories to tell whether in the 19th century or in the present, that um, that let me kind of hang around here a little bit more, because um, clearly my inner scientist is is, is feeling happy and well fed. <laughs>
0: so like it's to wonderful. It's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful way to to say both needs or parts of your personality. That's and we need right. science writers. Right. I wrote for many years right. about technology. And as a woman writing about technology 20 years ago, that was, first of all, technology was emerging in a different way. So it's just, I can see exactly what you mean about how it's a good perch and we need that. We need you right. in that you perch.
1: Know, story and science uh, are a powerful combination. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to hang out here a little longer.
0: That's Janice Namura author of the book, The Doctors Blackwell, How Two Pioneering Sisters Brought Medicine to Women and Women to Medicine. To learn more about bio or to hear more conversations like this, please visit our website, biographersinternational.org. Enzo De Palma created our theme music. Sheree Newman is our podcast editor. I'm Lisa Napoli in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening to bio.